Welcome to Tracks to Success, brought to you by Presentation Partners. This is the podcast that brings you inspiring people and their inspiring stories. How do they find their way to the top? And how can their path help you do the same? Here's your host, former network broadcaster and C-suite executive, Craig Can. Right now on the debut edition of Tracks to Success, you'll hear from one of the most recognized voices and personalities in sports television today. He's one of the lead hosts at NBC Sports. His assignments include the Olympics, the NFL, major championship golf coverage, horse racing's Triple Crown, the Indianapolis 500, the NHL's Stanley Cup playoffs, and Notre Dame football. Before that, it was a 25-year journey at ESPN and ABC that included a 10-year role as host of Monday Night Football. He's also been the lead on coverage of Wimbledon, the Daytona 500, the Final Four, and yes, the Super Bowl II. He's well-respected, well-traveled, and he's very well-versed. His name is Mike Tirico. His inspiring story and this debut edition of Tracks to Success starts now. Mike, thanks so much. Uh, this is really cool to have you on this thing. It's good to see you again, Craig. Been uh, been a long time in a lot of different places. Good to cross paths in this new new spot for you. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh, I am going to start with an opportunity for you to take us inside your head. Okay. okay? Danger. Um, Danger. People say he's one of the best in the business. Now, mm-hmm. some people say he is the best in the business. Yeah. I know that's flattering. Yeah, sure. You love that. I know you do. But what would you say that you're mm-hmm. most proud about? In other words, yeah. what's gotten you to where you are in your mind? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll start with I, I don't like hearing that. And if people do say that, I'm incredibly humbled, flattered, appreciative but i don't let that go past my ears um i believe in all of us staying hungry in what we do and that uh, you're only as good as good as your next show your next deal in business your next shot in golf your next game as a coach all of those things I, i try not to look for the uh the mantle of the moment that somebody decides to to place on you um i would say professionally if i'm proudest of anything mm-hmm. it would be probably too easy to work with uh i try to make it for uh, not just our execs and producers but also the fellow announcers production crew m- make what i do easy on their jobs mm-hmm. uh and then i'd say the other thing is the versatility to be able to do anything from um football to golf or tennis to hosting uh, broadcast or call and play by play I've always fancied uh, the ability to do any job that the moment calls for as an important part of what I do and uh, that comes from the people I looked up to and Jim McKay and Bob Costas and Marv Albert especially growing up uh, in the Northeast and in the New York area I just think it's a really important thing for all of us to be versatile uh can you can you hit all 14 clubs in your bag to use yeah. our from our friendship our the, the golf uh, the golf lingo of it yeah at the same time um we both know this in this business you've got to have some degree of ego to succeed so how do you have that mm-hmm. right 
and be hungry, as you say, but be humble as well. Yeah, I, I try to put the ego thing aside. I, I think I'm much better as part of a team and an ensemble. I, I've always believed nobody watches a broadcast because of the announcers. It may help your enjoyment of the game, of the sporting event. It may keep you watching a bad game longer. But if you and I showed up on the Super Bowl next week, next mm -hmm. month, next year, people would watch it. They watched the big events for the big events. If uh, they said, hey, Mike and Craig, uh, it's going to be you and uh, the two of you in the 18th Tower at Augusta National in a couple of years, not Jim Nance and Nick Faldo. People still watch the Masters. Now, mm -hmm. the comfort factor of having those guys for so many years would be one thing, or um, maybe they'd say they enjoy something that this person brings, but they'd still watch because it's the Masters. So nobody comes to a sporting event because of the announcer. Now, individuals like uh, former co-worker of both of ours, Scott Van Pelt, what he does at yep. ESPN, Stephen A. Smith at ESPN, um, those personalities who do a show that is driven by their personality, their views of the world, those guys are different. Uh, I, I think people do come to watch for them. Tony Kornheiser and Mike Wilbon on yeah, Pardon example. the Interruption. You know? Sure. Like, they talk about the same thing that uh, the guys talk about on the three shows before them. You look mm -hmm. at the, you know, on ESPN, you look at the show topics on the side. Uh, the topics are basically the same topics. It's just their take on them yep. has become interesting, right? So I think that, I think in that world, there is, um, because people come for you, perhaps more room for ego. I think for what we do, there is no room for ego, and I try really not to make it about me. And conversations like this actually make me uncomfortable because I hate talking about me personally. Show up, do a job, do the best you can, make your teammates better, help the viewer at home with access, go back, watch it, and get better the next day. When I was seven, I had a microphone and a tape recorder in yep. my room in Chicago. I knew <laughs> what I wanted to do. Yep. Is that your story? I had, to beat, you know? I had to beat by about five or six years. I had a little spoon in my hand running around pretending I was an announcer. When I was a little kid, this is what I thought I wanted to be. Um, this is really the job that I was born to do. And now as I go through with friends, adolescents, teenagers, college kids who don't know what they want to do, I feel bad for them because I was really blessed to know this is exactly what I want to do and uh, really – still wake up enjoying my job every single day and that's uh it's something i really count as a blessing i think i'm very fortunate to have found what i want to do and still be able to get the, the thrill and joy out of it that i had hoped when i was young enough to put these thoughts together that hey maybe i'd like to be a sportscaster someday yeah no question sorry i got you beat it. by a few years on that yeah that's good congratulations <laughs> i didn't use the spoon that's right a, that's a better idea actually i probably use something i have no idea <laughs> People don't like to talk about themselves. You yes. just said that. Um, I think we all feel that way. But mm -hmm. yet, at the same time, we need to know our story, and sure. nobody knows it better than we do. Sure. So take us back to your childhood. Mm -hmm. and now I know about the spoon, okay? <laughs> right. What else do I need to, to know? Where did you grow up, and yeah. what was the family life grew like? grew up in Queens, New York, uh, not too far from Shea Stadium. So I grew up a Mets and a Jets fan uh, back, in, back in that era uh, when they weren't great teams. But it was great fun to be a part of rooting for them um grew up in a family that were a bunch of big sports fans only child my mom was a single mom before uh, that was as acceptable as it has become generationally she did an unbelievable job sacrificing a lot to raise me and i'm forever indebted to her she's a, a hero of mine hard worker um really a, a great success story 
and great inspiration to me. Not having a dad around uh, as I was growing up, my uh, her brothers, my uncle, uncles were big influences in my life. Would take me to sporting events and to games, and uh, that's how I got started. I tried to try to play every sport. wasn't very good at any of them, to be fully candid. Uh, did didn't uh, didn't see the light to being a high school baseball star when uh, early on in those uh, fall tryouts they wanted me to be the defensive replacement, the pinch runner. Like, okay, <laughs> you can't you can't hit the curveball at fourteen. Yeah. You ain't gonna hit it at sixteen, eighteen, or twenty. So yep. uh, I immediately turned my attention to journalism, uh, something that I always had an interest in. I wrote for the school newspaper and was the editor of the high school yearbook. And um, I, my path was I wanted to be in TV, radio, or newspaper. And the big name in sports casting in New York at that time in the 70s and early 80s was Marv Albert. Uh Marv was Uh the voice of the Knicks and the Rangers on radio. He did the 6 and 11 o'clock news on the NBC affiliate WNBC in New York TV and would do NBC stuff on the weekend, whether it was boxing at Rahway State Prison in New Jersey or um, the NFL uh, with Paul McGuire on weekends. Uh, host the baseball pregame show on NBC. Marv would do all that stuff. And I said, okay, fine, that's pretty cool. Marv wrote a book. Yes, on yes, Marv Albert on sportscasting. Great book. And in that book... I think he went to Syracuse. In that book, he points out that Marty Glickman <laughs> was his idol, a great New York uh, sports star. I'll give you a sidebar on Marty in a minute. And that Marv went to Syracuse because Marty went to Syracuse. Then I found out Bob Costas went to Syracuse. And Len Berman, who worked in local TV in Boston and New York, went to Syracuse. And I found that they had a really great journalism program for many years. That's where I wanted to go. Um, With uh, limited financial means and a lot of student loans and a lot of support from family and friends, uh, I was able to get in, get there, and um, it's been the greatest chapter of my life. Went to school there, met my wife there, married... And uh, still a proud Syracuse alum three decades later. All right, so i got to go back to the, the school thing. Yeah, sure. Uh, you, you weren't that great at any of the sports, all no, right? So did you really. have a Letterman jacket? I mean, no, nothing? Nothing, nothing, nothing. Not, not, not great at sports at all. So, you know, so it's a time where there's, you know, we're in a New York City public high school. So, uh, you know, we, we have, uh, like, the black top where you play uh, softball. You don't even have a baseball diamond yeah. or a softball field at our school. Um, so you're playing on a hard top, uh, on a black top, on a, uh, uh, a rim with no net and a metal backboard. If you're playing basketball. So we'd play sports before school, but, you know, it wasn't very tall. Or the only thing it was, was was somewhat quick for my age and fast. And played some Little League baseball, but we didn't have organized sports. We didn't have the wherewithal to do those kind of things. So never really, other than playing some, you know, backyard sports with some friends, didn't really have the avenue to get coaching or teaching or any of that stuff so still had a love for the games wish i could have played them at a higher level and better but didn't and um maybe i'm glad i did because it turned my attention quickly to the journalism part of this and allowed me to get truly started in my career covering sports for our high school newspaper covered basketball and softball and every everything that was in our you know sports sections in high school i got to cover and i wrote up all the write-ups for the yearbooks for a couple of years for our high school and i was uh, really felt like I was a sports journalist at 16 and 17. Man, that that's cool. Now, you talked about it's your cool. mom. It's cool. It, it, it's cool in some ways. It's also lame that I wasn't a good enough athlete. Yeah, but, but, you gotta but it makes your story better <laughs> because a lot of people aren't the great athlete, and they, they want 
to be in sports so bad. They love sports. They're yeah. just they're just not good enough. You go to a big school, it's me, um, and you're you're not good enough to make teams. That's me, and that's and that's okay. And you you kind of figured. I mentioned I was going to do a sidebar on Marty Glickman real quick. It was fascinating. It was an HBO documentary on Marty Glickman, which was just amazing. Marty Glickman, in addition to being one of the premier New York sportscasters, basketball, football, especially New York Giants, New York Knicks. And then Marv Albert replaced Marty when Marty had some conflicts. That's how Marv got his footing as a Knicks announcer uh, in the 60s. Marty was a terrific athlete at Syracuse, was a track athlete, and um, it was very much part of his story, his heritage. He was a Jewish man and competed in the Berlin Olympics on the same team with Jesse Owens. And HBO did a documentary on Marty, and it's a fabulous documentary. If you could ever find it on YouTube or online somewhere, uh, and Marty, Marty was an inspiration to many of us who got to meet him. And of all of us who have come through Syracuse's sportscasters, uh, modern generation, including uh, Sean McDonough, Dave Pash, Ian Eagle, it's now Ian's son, Noah Eagle. There's just a whole mess of us who've come through there. Uh, really the patriarch of that, if you will, is Marty Glickman. Wow. Yeah, and a, wow. and a great individual U.S. story of, uh, of perseverance going back to the 1930s. Be it career or in personal life, people shape us. They mold yeah. us. Uh, they help create us. You talked about your mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yet your yeah. family tree, in, in mm-hmm. looking back, is is a bit unsettled. Yes. And it, it almost makes it as though you had some serious uncertainties growing sure. up and had to focus. Uh, how tough was that for you and not yeah. knowing what really sure. the family was all about? Yeah. It, you know, it didn't grow up in a, in a family where you've got your dad and your mom, your dad's side of the family, your mom's side of the family. Uh, a mixed race background and my mom's white so I grew up in their whole family and my whole family and never knew the other other side of my family and I think in a simpler time it wasn't as big a deal um, I think you know in the in the more uh, open recognizable generational family tree time uh, there's a little more import put on it I never had to deal with any issues that were hurdles for me directly regarding that I had a loving family who supported me took care of me gave me the best chance to succeed as an only child uh, put me in positions where you know I could mature and grow and and take on responsibilities and for that I'm thankful and I, I didn't spend a lot of time going back to try to dig up anything of haven't done the it past. Nah, not really and will at some point and have a little you have kids have a little bit yeah yeah i have kids and you know that, that's stuff that i definitely look at talk about with them mm-hmm. but i've always been of the opinion you know we don't have to share everything publicly if there are things that you don't want to get into or discuss publicly there's no reason you have to whether it's uh for your own personal background or for your family um, you don't have to be an open book all the time. And I think we're in a generation where a lot of people feel like they have to Agree. do that. And that's okay if they're comfortable with it, and I have respect for that. I think you should have equal respect for people who don't feel as necessarily willing to share everything and tell everyone's story um, because then they'll take it and shape it the way they see fit. And sometimes not having full knowledge shared with everyone it's okay. It's mm-hmm. allowable. It's our lives, and that's the way that I've chosen to go about it. But for my family, you know, my family knows knows what they need to know, and that's good enough for me. Syracuse, mm-hmm. uh, you talked about the great history of people that had come before you, and I'm assuming that's why you went there. I went to Missouri. Right. I know the competitive nature of journalism schools in the country. Mm-hmm. How competitive? Share with people 
what that race is really like at a school like Syracuse. Well, the good news for me was I knew exactly what I wanted to do and figured I'd go to Syracuse. The problem was there were about 10 other people who did the same exact thing, right? (laughs) The great news, the great, great news is all of them are still friends. As a matter of fact, as we have this conversation, I'm a a week or so removed from uh, my college roommate who was one of those people who this is what they always wanted to do, he Uh always wanted to do. Um, he were, has worked for a long time in local radio down in Texas, and he got married for the first time a couple of weeks ago. And we had about four or five of us together, and uh, one of the gentlemen who's a part of the group uh, is a longtime executive with the Seattle Mariners. One of them mm-hmm. is Todd Callis, the TV voice of the Houston yeah. Astros. Yeah. Todd was a college roommate of mine. Oh, wow. My other college roommate, Paul Peck, is the radio voice of the University of Buffalo Bulls, and he's been in the Buffalo market uh, for about 30 years doing media and TV. Uh, Sean McDonough was right before me, and we know Sean's great career. Tony Caridi graduated uh, the year that I was a freshman. He's the voice of the West Virginia Mountaineers for 25 years. Dan Horde is the first guy who taught me how to put audio on something called a cart, which is a oh, technical yeah. term yes. for <laughs> people of a certain age in our business, right? Yeah. Dan's the, t- the radio voice for the Cincinnati Bearcats, football and basketball, and the Cincinnati Bengals. Jim Jackson, TV voice for the Philadelphia Flyers, was right in our group, our our four-year group. Bill Roth, who was a quarter-century voice of the Virginia Tech Hokies and still does national stuff for ESPN. And I'm I'm missing like four or five other guys. Um, Guys whose name is now Michael Cole, WWE TV announcer was with us. Doug Sherman is a TV announcer at Syracuse uh, uh, for ESPN doing college hoops was in our class at Syracuse. There are like 20 people who I was in school with who have spent a quarter of a century in the business. I didn't even mention Ian Eagle, who interned for me. He was two years younger than me, interned for me. And Ian's obviously one of the great network announcers of our generation. All of us were in school at the same time. So you know the deal, and you probably live the, hey, did you send your tape to Yuma, Arizona? Yeah. Oh, me too. Yeah. Hey, did you send the tape to Montgomery, Alabama? Yeah, they have an opening. Yeah, yeah. me too. Hey, uh, what about Tucson? Yeah, right. I sent mine there too. Yeah. And it goes on and on. And you're competing against all these other people. And it really right. doesn't matter what line of work you're in, Mike. Somehow you got to find a way to stand out. So mm-hmm. how did you yeah. stand out? Well, it's a, it's a great question, Craig. And I'm going to give you the answer to that in a minute. I, I always find it unique to this business and, and others but I always try to tell students when we have conversations or I speak at Syracuse or at mm-hmm. any other school or speak to a student that there's no path to your job uh, I'll ask 10 of us sportscasters how we got our first opportunity and you'll get 10 different stories you ask a doctor doctor went to college doctor went to med school doctors did their residency you go through a path lawyers A distinct path there. Sure. There are many industries. There's not a distinct path. This is one of them. Uh, Most of the people you hear broadcasting games have varying degrees, communications, journalism, TV, radio. Chris Berman was a history major at Brown and went on to have one of the great careers of all time in our business. There's not one direct path. So it's an opportunity-making mode, I think, for this. Um, For me, I happen to be interning at a local TV station while I was doing college radio in Syracuse. It was my junior year. And they went through two weekend sportscasters in about six weeks. Mm. And I think the edict was hire somebody young and cheap, and I was both. I would have done the job for nothing. (laughs) Correct. Uh, I did it for nothing plus a few bucks. But I got a six-week tryout on the air, and I passed that tryout. Um, 
the worst weekend of my sports fandom, which was when, as a student, Syracuse lost to Indiana in the 1987 Final Four, was the greatest weekend of my career because when we took a plane from, we drove, to, drove from Syracuse to Newark, New Jersey, flew from Newark to Houston, took a train from Houston to New Orleans because we were students trying to get to our school at the Final Four. And I got to the train station in Houston and went to a pay phone and called Kathy Creaney, the general manager of WTVH TV in Syracuse, and she said, um, you, gotta, you got the tryout. We'll uh, have you for the next four to six weeks, and uh, if you do well, well, we'll hire you. And so I found out that weekend I was going to get hired, Then I saw Syracuse lose the national championship two nights later, went back that same zigzag path, and four days later got my first time on, on the air on TV in April of 1987, and have been on TV ever since. So I never had that, I'm sending out tapes, I'm sending out tapes. So okay. my point of all that is, I'm sorry for the long-winded story, but the point is there is no path. You have to be present and in places to succeed, and when the mic opens or the door opens, you are ready to talk into it or walk through it and can do it with confidence and with some humility that hopefully people around you will see, hey, decent at this. like to give them a shot at doing more of it. Take what's given to you. Give people back something better than they expected when they gave you the opportunity. Hope so. We, we don't do the broadcast for us. We do the broadcast for the viewers. If, if I'm working for the viewer, the listener, then I'm doing what I should be doing. This is not for me to have my face on camera for X number of minutes or seconds. That's it's such a transparent, plastic life. Um, I think what's real is... We're on for three hours. Uh, when, you were, when you were covering golf on a regular basis, you have access to some of the best golfers in the world. What can I do with that access plus my knowledge and the experts I'm sitting with to help you at home understand and appreciate the event you're watching a little bit more than maybe if somebody else had that same access? If you can do that for them, then I think you're doing the right thing. So your big break is not necessarily something that happened you know, maybe when you were at ESPN or ABC or getting something there, you go all the way back to that one golden opportunity that gave you maybe the confidence or the the opportunity to continue on doing this journey. Yeah, uh, Sean McDonough, who I talked about before, who was a Syracuse alum, has gone on to, you know, the youngest guy to call the World Series. I think Joe Buck may have been a year younger at some point when Joe got in there, but Sean was calling the World Series in his 20s in the late 90s. His great call, Joe Carter's home run in the Blue Jays World Series. Um, Sean's dad, Will McDonough, some folks might not know, but was a terrific journalist at the Boston Globe and kind of defined the insider slash expert role that people have on TV broadcast and sports, writers, etc. Sean said something great. You know, your last name, your where you went to school, uh, the people you know might open a door for you. It's up to you to keep that door open and walk through it because nobody's going to entrust uh, a million, 10 million, 100 million, whatever the rights fees are, who's going to entrust that kind of investment to somebody's kid or somebody's friend or an alum of a school that you have a good feeling for? They're going to trust that somebody could do the job. So my opportunities and breaks came as I was interning. And as an intern, I got a chance to um, show the people in that department that I was a conscientious hard worker loyal and dedicated to when I was asked to come in, come in on days that I wasn't asked to come in. Uh, and then when an opportunity came up, they knew that I was doing local radio at the college station. Mm. And the, new, the news anchor, legendary news anchor in that market, a gentleman by the name of Ron Curtis, who's no longer with us, 
told our GM, said, you know, I've listened to Mike do games. He's really good. I think he's got a chance to be really good at this going forward. And that helped them give me the opportunity to try on air. And that was my, quote, big break. But uh, then you put yourself in positions for all the next ones. And you don't know timing. If I don't get, if, you know, I don't get the golf opportunity at ABC in 1997, I don't know if I break from being a studio, cable, sports center, news anchor to being a network play-by-play guy because then that opened up other doors. There was a whole series of circumstances that gave me my first shot in golf, and I think that changed everything for me. Mike Tirico is my guest on this edition of Tracks to Success. Tracks to Success is brought to you by presentation partners, visual storytellers, passionate about connecting presenters with their audience. You just talked about um, the golf and then the play-by-play in, in other sports. All right, let's talk about the rush. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons we do this, right? I mean, the Olympics, you're sitting on a studio set, or the Super Bowl, you're right. covering that. Uh, you've covered the big ones. Is there one rush better than another? One that just, like, you'll go, man, <laughs> I, I will never forget that one. Right. Uh, I would say, I'll give you a specific answer in a minute. In general, no. And I'll tell you a quick anecdote how I've gotten to that answer, no. I was asked at some point, I was doing a promo uh, for a game or an event. And I think it may have been a Masters promo at ESPN. A Masters coming up in three weeks. It was during an NBA playoff game or, or a college basketball game or something like that. Like, oh, no, no better place to be than Augusta and the Masters, right? Which is true. I feel that way. Uh-huh. But now I'm thinking, wait a minute. Somebody sitting at home watching an NBA game, and I'm just, I told him in the open, what a great night it is. It's the NBA playoffs. No better seat in the house. Or it was college basketball. It was Big sure. Ten. It was sure. February to April. No, no better place to be. Here we are, a couple of top 15 teams. You know, whoa, this is as good an atmosphere as you get. Wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Like, wait a minute. In the same half hour, I've just told people that I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. I just tell them that I can't wait to get to Augusta. There's no better place. <laughs> and that got me to, oh, man, somebody's going to hear that whether at the Big Ten or Augusta National, and like, okay, this guy's you know, trashing our product, which they wouldn't do. But that was the first thought in my mind. And I said, you know what? Maybe I should just learn to appreciate where you are at the moment. And that that's a great event because somebody has made the conscious, voluntary decision to come spend their free time on the event that you are at. So they'd love to be here, or they'd love to be entertained by this. So instead of saying, this is better than that, at the moment, that's the best thing, because that's the thing you're presenting to the people who want it. And mm-hmm. it's almost, it's a real business mindset of serve the customer that has walked in your door and make them feel important and special in a genuine way, and try to do that. So that rush, I try not to say, okay, here's another, here's another uh, event we're coming on the air try to make sure that it has a sense of urgency and importance for you and for the viewer all wrapped in one. I will say the one time that it kind of struck me a little bit differently was the first night of hosting the Olympics as the primetime host in 2018 out in um, Pyeongchang, South Korea, because for most of my life, two people who I idolized, Jim McKay and Bob Costas, had done that job. There were the stretch in the 90s when CBS had the Winter Olympics and Jim Nance and Greg Gumbel and others were the hosts. But essentially the Olympic hosts of my yeah. lifetime are McKay and Costas. And to sit in that chair and now know that that's your job now, that was the one moment where I was like, okay, this is pretty big. And then 
I looked around and saw that everybody else around me was a little uptight, and I just kind of told the joke and said, ah, let's go, and it worked out okay. You mentioned versatility, and I remember years back uh, during my time at Golf Channel, I was told by a couple of executives, man, you're one of the most versatile guys. You can handle anything. You can do everything. But I, I didn't feel like I had ownership of any one thing, and mm -hmm. I struggled with that. I admit yeah. that to anybody. I didn't know if, if it was as fulfilling as it could be. Years later, I appreciate that comment. Sure. I appreciate it much more. You talked about talking to kids and, and other people who are going through life and versatility. It seems like in today's world, versatility is more important than ever before yeah. because you want to be the last one they think about if all of a sudden there's a freeze or a whatever. Sure. How do you explain that and the importance of versatility to others? Yeah, you know, I, I think we try to master our craft, but then, Craig, you need to figure out, okay, how can I become valuable? I think, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Mika Brzezinski, who is uh, on Morning Joe on MSNBC, has really done a great job uh, to help women in the uh, equitable pay world. Mm -hmm. And her book and her speaking series is Know Your Value. Well, I think you have to create a value. And you create your value to your employer, to your company, to your industry by versatility. Uh, don't get stuck in this is all I do. Don't get stuck in, uh, man, I'm really good at this, and I don't want to try anything else. Uh, I, I've, I've tried to push the envelope, get out from uh, my comfort areas every once in a while, within reason, to do things that, sure, I know I'll be successful in, but I can try. I, I broadcast uh, three hockey games in 2019 and two in 2020. I'm not particularly proficient at it. It was kind of done as a little bit of a challenge, and I said, yeah, I'll take it on. Uh, we call that a stretch assignment. A big-time stretch, major stretch, but, but it was good because yeah. it, I – I got up tight, I overprepared, I studied, and I came with some skills now that I can apply to the things I do on a regular basis. So I'm a big, per I'm a big proponent of people who, no matter what their job is, um, strive for versatility. And what the versatility does for me, it helps me understand what the other people are doing when they do their job. So when I'm at the Olympics and Terry Gannon, my NBC colleague, or Dan Hicks are doing another event... I know what they're going through. I know the preparation they've gone through. So I can enhance what they do when it comes to me in the studio, or I can ask them a question, or I can communicate with them, say, hey, guys, in the open of our broadcast, I'll mention this, this, this. Does that work so you can get right to this? And the fact that I've sat in their hmm. seat, yeah. I know I can work with them better, and hopefully it makes you valuable to the whole company. And, they, and they they're a little quicker, like you were alluding to, a little quicker to think about kicking you out when they need more space. <laughs> Um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because I think sometimes our greatest achievements come from outside of our comfort zone. Mm -hmm. You know, the yeah. times when people say, you can't do that. Yeah. You're not going to succeed at that. Or, or you have self-doubt or yes. you over-prepared. By the way, I watched you on that hockey <laughs> game. Um, and, and I think uh, that's an important lesson for everybody is yeah. to get comfortable with the idea of being uncomfortable. Yes. Um, take you out of your familiar is a, a phrase that I've uh, stolen from a couple of from a friend, and I love it because it does challenge you to not get stale. Mm. And um, you know, Fred Gadelli is the producer for NBC Sunday Night Football, and he's won umpteen Emmys. He's one of the truly the best producers of our, of our time in the history of sports television. And Fred, there's a tree of Freds. He's worked with so many different people over the years, many of whom I've had the chance to work with. 
and Fred has always been a big proponent of go back and watch your work, see how it came through the TV. And that stuck with me 20-some-odd years ago, 25 years ago, when we first crossed paths, and uh, even more than that. And to this day, most of the time that I'm on the air, I will go back and watch it, not for the vanity of seeing yourself on TV, but you then put yourself in the viewer's perspective of the work you did. The only way you can get better is to self-assess. I think we are our own harshest critic at times, and if you can be your own harshest critic, then you know what criticism in this day and age of social media and a lot of criticism, you know what criticism you should take to heart, you know which you can be dismissive about, and um, I think it just makes a better product when you go back and review your work. And I'm still a big believer in, in doing that. I was uncomfortable going back to watch the hockey game because I just never – I haven't done my Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours. Yeah. So I don't have that um, that uh, muscle memory to rely on. And Did you think you were any good? Um, I could be better. And that's good. That woke me up. That woke me up the next day. What, what upset you? What ticked you off? You, you just be sharper, and and you know, I, I, there are things you learn that you say, "Hey, I, I I see this forward here. I see the guy on this line. I see these guys. I can be quicker on some of these things." You're allowed to do that. That's yeah. good. So next time I do it, hopefully I'll be better. I took notes. I kept the notes. And if I do any hockey games next year, I'll have my first place to go to is say, "Okay." This is how I did this last year, and I can be better by doing that. Is that the sport or event that you're most proud of that you've called in your career? I mean, uh, you've called them all. Yeah. You've been through almost every sport. Is there anything that I'm, – I'm proudest that I did that at this point in my career, that I'd done 30 years of TV and took on something new, and it wasn't awful. You know, and I, there's a lot of room to get better. There's a lot of room for all of us to get better every day. I think what wakes all of us up who do this is the perfect show. Some night you're going to do the perfect show. Now, here's the reality. You never do because no. you, you have 20 options uh, per minute if you're calling a game. Um, but you always think you can do it better. But when you are satisfied with how something comes across, um, it, it makes you feel good that the process is right. And, you know, you, this is called tracks to success. I, I think tracks to success are preparation and process and passion. You know, do you love what you do? Yeah. Do you prepare whatever it is to do it really well, hopefully? And then do you have a process, a process that you can follow that will continue to provide successful ways to repeat being the best teammate possible or leading a team as we have to do sometimes? Do you give students um, a couple of lessons on cracking the code? You know, that career is tough, that mm -hmm. this job, whatever you want to go into, and I know you probably don't just talk to sportscasters or broadcasters, sure. of how tough it really is. Because you make it look easy. Many do, okay? Right. Very few are remembered for being the greatest of their craft. But for many, it is a struggle. Yeah. It, Craig, it, it, it's really easy to be critical of anything from the outside, right? Uh, you can drive by somebody's lawn and go, eh, doesn't look very good, does it? You can go by a golf course and go, ah, their, their greens aren't any good. But you don't know the circumstance of the superintendent of the golf course where the greens don't look as pristine as Augusta National, doesn't have the staff or the resources, um, or he's had to put out another fire on the golf course and the greens uh, gave him a tough time with the melt in the winter in a, in a northern climate. And there's a story behind why everything isn't perfect, right? So I think when you're in a public light, you get criticized for your work, fair or not. 
it helps you understand that your criticism when you have it needs to be accurate, fair, and measured, and not personal. And what I try to tell students who are involved, who ask about getting a job in this business is become your own harshest critic, like I said before. Rip apart your own work and understand how you can get better. Once you are motivated to say, I can get better in this, wor this part of my job, then I think you're going to be able to take the criticism from people you respect and get better. So for me, that's one of the big lessons I try to pass along. And I try to pass along that passion message. Go find something you love. Because this job is never going to be 9 to 5. It's going to take you from your family on weekends and holidays. It's not going to be something where you're going to be home for every event that your family has. If you succeed at it, um, you're going to miss out on some weddings and these other things. So you better love this to want to stay and last it. In addition to hosting this podcast, I lead Can Advisory Group. Where elevating communication for companies and individuals is the primary goal. Consulting, team workshops, group and individual webinars, and my keynotes for your company meeting or conference. At Can Advisory, we help companies clarify their message, we help professionals build and showcase their brand, and we help everyone present their best selves. So, if you're the leader of a team or company looking to give your employees a one-day experience that will help them for a lifetime, or an individual who wants to become a speaker and presenter that gets other people talking, visit canadvisory.com and connect. As a company or individual, finding your way to a bigger you is empowering. So, invest in yourself today. Visit canadvisory.com and mention the Tracks to Success podcast to receive my special discount on any of the Can Advisory services. That's canadvisory.com. Talking with Mike Tarico, I know you probably know the voice. That is for sure. A um, couple things before I let you go, mm -hmm. and you just segued to it perfectly for me. Uh, this business is tough. And uh, there are a lot of businesses where people travel Absolutely. today. It seems like the most successful businesses require a lot of travel. Um, on family, there's a strain. Mm -hmm. um, you miss things. Uh, my mm -hmm. twins of my three kids were born on U.S. Open Week. Right. Okay, that made it right. a little bit difficult. Yeah, Father's sure. Day was a challenge. Um, mm -hmm. Travel, working a lot in sports takes you away from some of that. Mm -hmm. How have you balanced that? Yeah, they, they've been tremendously understanding. Uh, the kids know no other way. Because you're uh, the Sung JM, if I can use the golf <laughs> analogy, of sportscasters. You're uh, there every week. It, it, it feels like that. I think when I'm at home, they'll tell you that I don't work enough, and they like to get me back out of the house. <laughs> you know, you, you find a great rhythm. My wife's been amazing about that and uh, helping us succeed uh, as best as we can, raising, raising a couple of kids. But they've understood that you know it gives them the opportunity to go to some events that they otherwise wouldn't have but also by the same token you miss out on some things so whether it's phone calls or pictures or video streams or things like that you try to stay as connected as possible and the one positive for us is that uh, monday through friday we don't have to go into an office if we happen to be home that week so when i'm home i'm home so i can do things that some of my other friends who are dads might not be able to do like volunteer at a class when my kids were younger, Tuesday at 10 a.m., 
because during football season I was always home Tuesday at 10, 10 a.m. So there are just it's replacement replacement value. I always like to tell people life's a series of trade offs, mm-hmm. and we've traded off a, a, a wonderful life and a great existence. Um, and some opportunities for them to see places and parts of the world they wouldn't have otherwise at a young age uh, for some of the things of you're not home. But my but kids and my wife have been great. Christmas Day, when I did the MBA for 11 or 12 straight Christmas mornings, um, we'd open up our gifts by FaceTime and share that. But then we'd have Christmas with Dad on the 27th or the 23rd, and mm-hmm. we made it work. And Worked I think that it. adaptive hopefully will uh, be something that we'll all learn going forward. Hypothetical. you mm, got five yep. years left in your career. Sure. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't asked you who your favorite interview guest has ever been that right, you've talked right, to, et cetera. Right. But I'm going to ask you if, if there's somebody that you don't have on your resume and an event mm-hmm. that you would like to call. You could do anything. You only sure. got five years yeah. left. And you want to try to maximize yeah, it. Yeah, Super Bowl. At, at some point, I'd love to call a Super Bowl. I hope I get the opportunity to. If I don't, I've been to about 23 or 24 of them. It's been just like an amazing uh, connection. I, I was born the year of Super Bowl one, So I've been alive exactly the length of the Super Bowl run minus Ditto. a few weeks. So um, I have a special connection. I love that day. And having, you know over i think i think it's at 25 that i've been to at least the site for the week and most of them i've been to the game i i still love the opening kickoff of the super bowl still my favorite so the chance to call one if i ever get that at some point um or or be the main host for the pregame show of the super bowl one of some involvement at the, that's our that's the most watched thing in american television and uh if you've got the opportunity to enter that club you're in there for life and it's pretty cool so hopefully that'll happen at some point in my life the other question was an interview mm-hmm. um i've been lucky enough to interview some presidents along the way in various yeah. uh settings uh, mm, the one person who i haven't met who i haven't interviewed had nothing to do with sports or politics it's bruce springsteen really i am a huge springsteen fan growing up in new york went to about two dozen springsteen concerts a whole run in the 80s uh love bruce seen most of uh, most at least one of most of the tours over the last 30 years. He had an incredible way of writing songs that connected with his experiences and the experience of his experiences of his fans. As he's aged, he's found a way to continue to connect to multiple generations. When he and the E Street Band do a show, they give you four hours and they give it all to you. And you walk out of there and you go, man, they love their job and they love the people they work for, their fans. And I've always had a great admiration for Springsteen. East Street Radio on satellite yeah, radio yeah. is you know, number three or four on my list after a couple of sports channels and a news channel. Um, I listen to it all the time. I listen to Springsteen music. I, I'd love to sit and hear um, a little bit of what makes him tick. I've heard so many interviews with him. He's a guy I'd love to sit and have a half hour with to be able to pick his brain. Do you need the Jets to win a Super Bowl? Or maybe it's the Lions. I've, I've outgrown all of that. I'm team agnostic at this point. I feel like covering sports at the national level, I don't have that same passion for a local team. Now, I love to see the Detroit teams do well because my kids root for them. Yeah. My friends, my neighbors, you get to know people. You know, I, you know, sports makes for odd bedfellows. So that you get to Patrick Ewing is now coaching Georgetown. It's really hard for a Syracuse guy to want Georgetown to do well. <laughs> but when we were in the NBA and Patrick was an assistant, it couldn't have been nicer. And that I, was great. I always wanted to see him get an NBA opportunity. I'm hoping he, he does 
I hope he does well enough for Georgetown to leave, go to the NBA, and then they can be bad after that. It's just that's just our rival. But the, your experience in the industry neuters a lot of your fan uh, endorphins that just sit there. Now, having said that, I don't cover baseball. I love to see the Tigers play well. I love going to just. I love. We still have season tickets. Um, I love going to a game as a fan and mm-hmm. parking and paying and going because it keeps me in touch with our consumer. So I know what it's like to be a fan at a game. I love doing that still. Um, and don't ask for special parking. I pay for our season tickets. My wife and I, we do as a family and we go when we can. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's one team that I will unabashedly and without explanation continue to root for, it's Syracuse. Syracuse. It's, it's it. my alma mater. Yeah. I, I still get nervous when I watch their games. I still have to put my phone down when I want to tweet. ACC basketball officials are terrible. <laughs> Why? When's the last time an ACC basketball official called a three-second violation? They because shouldn't be in the ACC, we, Mike. We, we play a 2-3 zone. It is we because I'm an alum. That's right. We, we play a 2-3 zone, and the ACC basketball officials refuse to call three-second violations. And those, those things bother me, and I love that because it reminds me of how passionately – people watch what we do and sports has got a ridiculous loyalty that other things don't and uh i love remaining a fan for that mike there's a saying that uh your brand is not what happens when you're in the room it's what happens when you leave the room do you think your brand is something that gets talked about a lot what is your brand to you what do you want your brand to be that others would say With, with all with all respect to marketers uh, execs in the in the commerce world, and to uh, the Gen Xers and 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 ahead, I I don't think you're a brand. You're just you're just who you are. And I understand the term, so I'm going to answer yeah. the question. But I just like yeah. I hear terms like that, and I'm like, no, stop, stop. Mm. That your brand's who you are. You're. Um, I hope I hope when I leave a room, people say that I was engaged in my time around them, that I do my job in an admirable way and that working with me or being around me or being around makes their day slash life a little bit better. I hope when they get a text from me, hey, happy birthday. Hey, how you doing? Hey, I enjoyed watching your show. I hope they know it comes from the heart and not from a place of uh, of jealousy in any way. I want, I want to see everybody in our business succeed. I, I, I'm more on the, on the good news part of the world than the negative news part of the world and um, I, I just hope that I can contribute to that successfully. And I don't, I don't care if you think that Joe Buck's better than me or Al Michaels or Jim Nance because Ian Eagle, Sean McDonough, they're all friends. Uh, I, I want to I see them do well. To be included as part of that fraternity means more to me than anything else. You realize you're blessed, right? Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Absolutely. Healthy kids, incredible family, support beyond belief, tremendous set of friends even better set of acquaintances people you don't share your personal stuff with but that's your friends mm-hmm. but incredible set of acquaintances who you go to you go to a golf tournament you go to a, a tennis grand slam you go to the final four and you see people who you've shared good times with and to do what i absolutely still love to do what i wanted to do 50 plus years ago as a little kid darn right i know i'm blessed and i'm um, hopeful that i can pay it forward and back pay it back to the people who helped make me successful and pay it forward to the people who would like some insight in how to do this um one person's version of how to do this because none of us 
are smart enough to come up with the answer, but our experiences through the prism of your life, your personality, may form the way you do things. You've been a friend to me. I truly appreciate oh, it. Nice uh, it's been Craig. great sitting down, and I yeah. hope you keep that spoon. I hope you still have that <laughs> I spoon, wish, buddy. I wish, I wish I did. I can just find some old antique spoon and sell it and say, here's the original. That's that's so great. Congratulations on this, Craig. It's great to visit with you, and all the best. Thanks. In our conversation, Mike talked about the journey in an industry that's as competitive as any you'll find, which leads me to my one last thing. If you want to be an influencer, learn to tell a story. Make sure that you know your own story better than anybody else. Paint a picture and take people on a journey that engages others. Build your brand by making sure you take information from people along the way and then find your own style and your own way of doing things. And if you want to be relevant, focus your energy on doing relevant things and making an impact that gets other people talking. Do those things and your tracks to success become a whole lot easier. I'm Craig Can. Until next time, thanks for listening. You've been listening to Tracks to Success, brought to you by Presentation Partners, visual storytellers passionate about connecting presenters with their audience. Subscribe to the show for more great interviews and thoughts on reaching your highest personal and professional summit.